Welcome to the Education Technology Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Sam Kingma. In 2018, technology is rapidly growing and changing around us. From yearly smartphone models, computers, and cars, the way we interact with the world is changing on a day-to-day basis. But for many American schools, charging forward into the 21st century has been an expensive, challenging endeavor. Here to give his insight is Gregory Hawk, partner with Boxlight, to discuss how technology is allowing students to take more agency into their learning beyond the textbook. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing very well. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. So I wanted to start this interview asking, what kind of work do you do with Boxlight? Um, I am the superintendent of schools in the Huntington Beach City School District. And the work that we're doing with Boxlight now is we are transforming our classrooms into what we call 21st century learning environments. So we're working in partnership with Boxlight to uh, develop solutions uh, to make our students uh, far more productive, engaged, and creative. All right. So what are some of these technologies that you've helped put into schools? Well, we, we are starting from the ground up in all of our classrooms, uh, we, uh, from the furniture all the way up to the technology. And what we're attempting to do is, is create environments where, first off, students feel uh, welcomed, that they feel comfortable. And, uh, and then I keep using the word engaged, but we really want students to walk in and feeling, feel like they want to be a part of the learning environment, that they become engaged. So when, you, you, when we utilize things like table displays where multiple students can sit around a table display and dissect uh, a roller coaster in a science lesson or uh, a mathematical problem and work in collaboration, communicating with one another, uh, it works out wonderfully. So you have table displays. Can you give me some more examples? So you have table displays. What else have you been able to implement? Uh, we also use the uh, multiple touch uh, projectors um, in, in almost every single one of our classrooms. So you can walk into a middle school classroom and because they're multiple touch, um, you, they have multiple touch users, you can see different students working on different things um, all across the board and then how that interacts with the laptops that they're working with. Um, we've even had students utilizing the lab disks. Uh, I was in a third grade classroom right before the end of the school year and the students were walking around the school and they were taking uh, humidity readings and temperature readings of uh, both in classrooms and um, out on the field. They were doing things like if you put it next to water, um, you know, which is interesting in Southern California, because if you go inland, it's, of course, uh, especially today, like 110 degrees. We're out here on the coast. It's it's, you know, a nice 75. So students were working with what is uh, relative humidity deal with in regards to uh, overall heat. And it's really kind of funny because we as adults use that phrase, yeah, well, it's a dry heat. And uh, our students understand that better than we do. Now, you mentioned students with laptops. Is this becoming a more common thing? Absolutely. And and it has to. Um, our students, we, we call them digital natives. They're used to um, having everything at their at their fingertips like that. They're used to the speed and uh, the interactivity of, of a laptop or any type of technology. Um, assuming that our students are going to sit and read a, a history book for 45 minutes and then answer the questions at the end of the period uh, is, is so outdated and ridiculous. And uh, so, of course, technology has to be a part of what we do. Uh, it, again, it speeds up the learning process so much more. So you're talking about taking technologies, taking schools to the 21st century. How has all this technology affected the curriculum? I think it's broadened it. Um, I think it's broadened it, and I think it's also, it, it allows it to come to life. And when people say, oh, the curriculum comes to life, they, they don't understand what that means. 
Um, but again, when a student, well, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, I walked into a classroom and they were reading the book, uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nymph. And there is a um, section in that book where the mouse rides on the bird and, and they go up in the air. Now that's something that's kind of fun to think about as you're reading a novel and going through it. But then our, our the teacher immediately went into a lesson on, on lift and and the and the aerodynamics that are necessary for lift um, and that just rolled right into students on laptops and they were looking at airplanes comparing that with birds and and how the lift of a, an airstream can pick a bird up and so therefore they realized that what was talked about in the story although you're not going to have a mouse right on a on a bird but at least it's physically possible uh, for that to happen and then they can take that lesson and move it right into so how does an airplane get off the ground? What, it, what does it mean when the, when the pieces of the wing drop down to create that lift and what does lift do? Um, and then, you know, interestingly, later that day, I saw two students out on the, out on the field at, at recess and they were talking about a bird that was circling around and they were, you know, just visually talking about where's the air current and watch as the bird gets to this point and it'll automatically lift it up. So that brings a curriculum to life. All of a sudden, it's not just a novel that they're reading. It's a novel that is utilizing scientific concepts. And then those students are, are, are completely understanding that scientific concept and bringing it to life for them. And that's just one example of how um, students now own their curriculum and understand what they're learning and why they're learning it. And then the beauty of it, again, is they're communicating that learning to somebody else. That's really, really cool. So do you sort of see us go away from the kind of standard, you know, we have English class, science class, math class, and instead it just kind of all blends together, like with the example you gave, how it was initially sort of like a reading English story, and then it kind of turned into sort of a science lesson? Well, we have to. Um, you know, one of the things that we keep in mind um, in Huntington Beach City and, and, and a lot of other school districts is is, is the estimate right now is that 60% of the jobs that our current elementary school students will have um, when they're in the workforce, uh, those jobs haven't even been invented yet. And so if you were uh, in a classroom and would have told your English teacher, your high school English teacher 10 years ago, uh, that you were going to write a blog, uh, your teacher would have looked at you like you had lost your mind. She would have told you or he would have told you that there's no way you can make a living doing this. Um, and quit being ridiculous and start thinking about writing for a newspaper because that's a far more relevant uh, career. And we now know that that's, that's no longer the case. So, you know, we need to make students who are critical thinkers, who can collaborate with other individuals and share their ideas, thoughts, and concepts um, in, in, in communicating effectively and then allow creativity. So again, I use the example of, uh, I remember when I was in, in high school and we talked about world history and, and talked about World War II, uh, you know, it was read a book and, and then answer the questions. And then there was a test at the end of the week. We can now take those lessons and bring them to life. We can talk about, um, you know, how the interactivity, the dependency of one country upon another country, how this worked, how that didn't work. The, the students can speculate and come up with diagrams and ideas of what might have happened if, if, you know, if option A would have happened or option B would have happened. And we have to be able to do that because, again, um, there aren't going to be jobs out there where you just sit and do the same thing uh, over and over and over again. You're going to have to be able to adapt and modify 
Um, you know, it's interesting that we provide students tests because we we define the problem for them and their their responsibility is to solve the problem. When we get out into the real world, the problem isn't even isn't even identified. They have to identify the problem, and therefore, because they've identified the problem, they can't even identify the the solution um, without understanding the problem and being able to dissect it and then go back after it. Now, it's pretty safe to assume that all this technology has given students a lot more agency in their learning. Is that true? Absolutely true. Can you expand a bit on the benefits of how students having more agency is actually really, really good for them becoming smarter and more worldly? I, I think number one is the engagement. Um, students, again, are technology natives. They understand it. They desire to learn it better. They have far fewer inhibitions uh, than than I do as you know as adults do in regards to, oh my gosh, I'm going to break this technology or this technology isn't working correctly. Um, they just keep looping around and identifying the problem. So they're more engaged. They're more comfortable in what they're doing. They are better at attempting solutions, realizing that doesn't work, and then coming back with a different idea um, and utilizing that. We, we talk often about how students are gaming too much. And because of that, um, you know, they're not getting out and playing. And, and while there may be, and there is some truth to that, and we worry about interacting with other people, what it is teaching them is if you fail at a game, students don't just quit and walk away. Students say, okay, wait a minute, that didn't work. Let me try this instead. And they'll do that over and over and over again. And we're starting to see that in their learning as well. So students are engaging better and they're more comfortable with trying different ideas and they get instant feedback. And that's the next piece. Assessment is now becoming uh, much more relevant and assessment meaning testing. Testing isn't just, you know, you know, questions one through 100, and if you get a 90, you get an A, and an 80 is a B. Um, we have now real-life assessments. So I was in a classroom, and they were working on uh, designing their own roller coasters. Well, you can come up with ideas and concepts of a roller coaster, but in the simulation, if the, if the train goes flying off the track, um, that's not working, and students won't quit at that point. They'll then come back and say, okay, what do I need to do to fix that? Was, was it going too fast? Was the turn too sharp? Was and they start discussing those concepts with each other. So engagement is huge and the assessment is, is quick and real. And students are then able to utilize that assessment to rethink what they were doing. And again, I go back to that communication and collaboration with other students and develop a solution to their problem. Now, you mentioned these students called them digital natives earlier. They have no issues really with the technology. Have teachers struggled with the implementation of the new technology, though? Uh, you know, that's where it becomes really, really important to uh, create partnerships with individuals that aren't just there to, to hand out the next shiny piece of technology, but, but truly find technology that's interactive and easy to use. If, if you want a teacher to become frustrated and, uh, and not use technology, just make sure that it's bulky, big, and not user-friendly. Um, instead, and again, us working with Boxlight, the, you know, the, the multiple touch um, panels that we're using are so interactive and so easy to use that it, it really is a no-brainer. It's, it's that whole concept of plug and play. So yeah, teachers can, can become really frustrated really quickly, and then you'll end up with that closet at your school that has all the technology that somebody had to have, and now they're no longer using it. But when you pick your partners carefully and they have... Um, 
product development, product support, and and things that are user friendly. Uh, it even the most even the most uh, technology scared teacher uh, will continue to to move things forward. And then the other beauty of this is we're all learning together. So. Um, you know, they say if you ever want to get the 12 to quit blinking on your uh, on your on your on your DVD player, and that shows you just how old I am that I'm thinking of a DVD player. Um, have your six-year-old child fix it because they'll fix it in a matter of about 15 seconds. And again, they're not worried about doing it, and the two of you can learn together. So yes, teachers can become frustrated, but picking the right partner is important because then it, it's it's user-friendly and it's developed for teachers. And then on top of that. Let's all learn together and figure out how this works and how we can make it work. You mentioned technology in the closet, making sure you have the right partners. How do you determine what technology is going to be useful for students versus technology that's just kind of fancy and doesn't really have any practical application? You know, the biggest, the most important thing to do is, is to turn students loose with it. Um, you know, it's, it's nice when someone allows you the opportunity to utilize an app or utilize a piece of technology for uh, a certain period of time before you make the important consideration of purchasing it. And so for me, you know, I would never buy a car without test driving it and seeing if it worked for me and it was what I wanted. Uh, so we expect the same thing as we're spending millions of dollars uh, in transforming our classrooms. We expect to be able to use it. We expect it for it to be hands-on. And I will tell you that, um, you know, teachers take a little bit longer to determine if it's usable, but students will tell you in 10 or 15 minutes if it's usable or if it's something that they'll go back to. Uh, and, and they're quite honest about it. And if it doesn't meet their needs and or engage them intellectually, they'll, they'll get rid of it in a matter of, uh, like I said, 10 to 15 minutes, and then they're done with it. How do you pay for all this? <laughs> um, you know, we, we do a lot of different things. The first thing uh, that we did is in, we have um, an incredible PTA uh, parent-teacher organization that um, really, really supports all of our schools, and they do fundraisers uh, on a pretty regular basis. And for years, they were supplementing and/or completely providing us um, computers, um, devices, and, and technology. And they were really receptive to listening to what teachers wanted and what students wanted. And then we built that into um, where did we want to go? And we decided where we wanted to go was a, a complete transformation of our educational process to 21st century classrooms and how that transforms education. And in doing that, we shared a vision with our community and our community supported us by passing a uh, $160 million school bond. So over the next uh, 12 years, we'll actually be transforming all of our classrooms. And then um, we've created it in a way that, you know, as, as we get further down the road, some of the schools that were done early on will then loop back around and uh, and be a part of upgrades and uh, and and making sure the technology stays relevant. Now you mentioned having a really great PTA. Was it ever a struggle to get parents or just the community in general on board with enhancing school districts, or has it always been very supportive on both ends? You know, I've worked in in multiple school districts, and the PTA or parent organizations are always incredibly supportive. All you need to do is show them what this does for their students and how it'll benefit their students as they move forward. And uh, most of our parents uh, have a, a little bit of, of technology use, um, but you know, they, they most of theirs is probably a, a, their cell phone and the apps that are used for that. You know, I think you know, last night I, I, my wife and I went out to dinner and when uh, we were on, wanted to ride there and ride back and we just opened up our, our Uber app and 
um, immediately had rides. So we're utilizing technology. And so our parents see that that's important and they want their students to be able to, to see that as well. Um, I will tell you though, that the parents in Huntington Beach City are, are absolutely incredible and supportive. And uh, I've never worked in a place where the parent group is so eager to participate and become a part of the solution to helping their students. Hey, do you think as time marches forward and technology just becomes more and more engrossed with, with like the kids of today who become the parents of tomorrow, do you think it's just going to be even easier to get everyone on board with making sure that schools are, you know, in the 21st century? I think absolutely. And I think uh, the other piece that's going to really make this uh, even more important is that um, as students who grew up with much more technology uh, become parents and, and, and start to become interactive in their child's learning. Um, I talked earlier about how um, kids can determine in five minutes, five to 10 minutes or you know, 15 minutes, whether they're gonna utilize something or not. They're gonna become the parents who are gonna become just as, uh, just as knowledgeable about how, how quality something is versus whether it's not which I think is just going to drive the industry to become even better at meeting the needs of uh, our students. Now I got one more question for you before I let you go. What does a school look like in 10 to 20 years? Uh, well, well, first off, I think that depends a lot on the leadership of the school. Um, I, I think we're out in front transforming education, but even if you walk into one of our classrooms right now, um, it doesn't look like the typical classroom. Uh, there are groups of students working together. There are students that are working individually there are students that are moving from one group over to another group to discuss a concept and how what they're working on now meets uh, with what the other individual is working on. I think the classroom in 10 to 15 years is where a teacher introduces a concept or, or an idea and then asks the students to utilize their skill set, their interests and their knowledge to either uh, prove or disprove that concept and then show mastery in a way that uh, is is far more um far more important than just, you know, regurgitating something on a test. So I think if you walk into a classroom in, in 10 years, it looks a lot more like um, what we imagine or what we've seen of the Google workplace where people are um, working on their own and they're bringing all those ideas together in groups and then working back out. And uh, it's going to be a, a, a whole lot less of students just sitting and writing or reading. Thank you for coming on, Greg, and thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe for previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Sam Kingma, and you have a fantastic rest of your day.